It's me, DJ Envy, with the word of the day. Subscribe. That's it. That's the word. The Alive Podcast Network is global streaming platform that curates the best black creative content in one spot. Just for you, tap in today for $5 in iOS, Android, and AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Finally, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. Welcome, welcome. You are now tuning into the Positive Deposit Podcast, where we transform minds to change lives. I am your host, Presley Nelson Jr., two-time cancer survivor and proud president of Positive Deposits. And I have one other, yes, clap it up, clap it up. I have another Howard hero, yes. So um, anyone that is from Howard University that is a survivor is a part of my Howard hero um, uh, catalog. So I have none other than Marcus where with me today he is um he's a, a warrior he's a conqueror he's a survivor he's done a lot of good works and we'll get into that um into this interview but um you know i'm gonna pass it over to you marcus just to give a brief interview and then we'll we'll jump right into this courageous conversation yeah well first of all let me say uh thank you for having me and inviting me to be on your podcast i really appreciate um you know that you have taken um what can be a negative experience for a lot of people and um, have chosen to transform it into a positive experience to really um, to really uh, educate and uh, motivate other folks. So um, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'll, I'll just share a little bit about myself. So um, I'm originally from Alabama. Um, the only two places I've ever lived are Alabama and D.C. Um, I came to D.C., as you mentioned, to go to Howard. And uh, well, before you do it, is it Auburn or is it Clemson? Oh, uh, it's Alabama, bro. It's, oh. <laughs> it's, it's that it's tide, okay. It's Crimson Tide, okay, okay. Yeah, I just put it there. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah. So, um, but I'm a big college football fan, so it's funny that you say that because no other team is, you know, they're not they're not touching us. But um, I had a great experience at Howard. Met a lot of good people. Was very active on campus, and then decided to stay at Howard to go to law school. Um, have worked uh, in higher education ever since then, um, and. Yeah, I'm just really excited to be here and excited to chop it up with you, brother. Awesome, man. You know, you, you know, we are on a two different spectrums of the frat, but you know, we saying so. It's, it's, that's it's, all right. That's, it's, cool. that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So yeah, um, yeah. So talk to us. You know, um, what was life like before you got the diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, so um, you know, for context, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was uh, 33 years old. Oh, wow. So, you know, um, I had been relatively healthy up until that point. And, um, you know, like most people, stubborn about going to the doctor. Of course. Uh, and, but, but I mean, I, I had a, but I did have a good relationship with my primary care physician. And what was interesting is that, you know, before I was diagnosed with cancer, um, I was going through it for like probably about two months, right? I, I knew I was sick. Okay. Um, and, and I'll just give you like a couple of examples. Um, so at, at the time I was working at George Washington University um, okay. and I had an office and the, the couple of things that I knew was that um, I was having night sweats. So I would wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, would, you know, you know, I didn't really yeah. know what that was about. 
I just thought I needed to turn the air conditioner up or something, but it, it, it continued to happen. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so I also was very fatigued. Um, okay. And there were times when I was in my office and I would have to go out and tell the front desk, like, I'm going to close my, uh, my door for like two hours. Like, don't yeah. let anybody. And I would literally lay down like on the ground in my office and just like rest. Um, wow. And, wow. And so, and I was I was healthy up until that point. So I was going to my doctor and they were testing me for everything, bro. Like yeah. they, I had probably like four or five different tests. So I would go to the doctor and, you know, they would test me. I would go back like the next week and they would be like, okay, well, I, we didn't see anything there. So let um, me test you for other things. Right. While right. this was happening, um, I was losing weight like rapidly. And I think it has something to do with the fever and the night sweats and just like the sickness Jeez. in my body. But um, I went, I remember going to the doctor on a Friday um, and I remember I looked at the scale and I was like 180 pounds. And then I went back the following Tuesday and I was 171 pounds. And, okay. you know, the doctor at that point, I think she knew that something was wrong, but like right. after it off, she said, oh, like the scale probably needs to be calibrated. But like, right, right. my clothes like started not to fit. So Ooh. And, and the, the moment which really sort of like triggered me to like go to go somewhere else was I was walking down the hall at work one day and one of my coworkers was like, man, whatever you're doing in the gym is working. And I was like, <laughs> I ain't been to the gym in like a year. So I was like, let me go figure out what's wrong with me. So, right, right. I mean, you know, so I mean, life up until that point was, you know, I didn't really have that much context about cancer. Like I didn't, you know, I yeah. knew what it was, but like most people, you know, I, when I heard the word cancer, it was just something that was big and scary. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, up until the point where, like, you know, I found out that it was something that I was going to have to face. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we don't we don't know what that word really means until we actually go through it. Right. You see it on Grey's Anatomy. You see it on all these medical shows. You you hear about it, you know, but then you don't realize what what life would be like when the doctor gives you the news to you. And so right. when, when did that, when did your doctor, I mean, you said you had a great relationship, but when did the doctor give you that news? How did, well, how, did the, how did he know? What was interesting is that like my doctor didn't even diagnose, my my primary care physician did not diagnose me. So, wow. you know, I was, I knew, again, I knew I was sick. I was, I was actually going to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And, um, one day, like two months into like this, you know, me being like extremely sick, like all the time, I um, faced, I did like a, the, a virtual visit with a doctor. Yeah. I took my temperature and I was like 103 degrees. And um, the the doctor asked me what my symptoms were. And by this point, I had like a note, an iPhone note that had like <laughs> all my symptoms in it. So, you know, when the doctor asked me, I shared my symptoms. And um, the doctor said, you need to go to an emergency room right now. It was flu season. And I yeah. remember the doctor was hesitant about like telling me to go to the hospital with my right. symptoms. And this was before COVID. But, um, you know, after I shared my fever, the doctor was like, you need to go to the hospital and you need to not leave until they tell you what's wrong with you. Wow. And a doctor knew based on the symptoms that I shared, like what it could potentially be. Absolutely. But the virtual visit, like, you know, yeah, you couldn't you can't really do much. You got I, Kaiser. I Go ahead. You got Kaiser. No, no, no. I, no okay. see, what's funny, I was living near campus. I was living near Howard and I felt so bad, bro. I was, <laughs> I, I should have gone to Howard Hospital, but I was like, I'm going to Washington Hospital Center. So I went to the hospital. Yo, why do we do that to our alma mater, man? We do not, 
we do not respect our hospital. Uh, well, I was equidistant between Washington Hospital Center and Howard. Okay. So that's fair. I'm, you know, um, but and again, at the time, I didn't know what was wrong with me. So absolutely, I went, I went to the hospital on March eighth, and they did a. When I went in, the, the next day they did um, um, a test, yeah. and it came back negative. And so then they had to do a. It was called a biopsy, as you know. Yeah, but. Then they had to do a needle biopsy. So they had, it was the most painful thing I'd experienced up to that point. Like they took this needle and it, I was, I mean, it's probably the only point during the entire experience where I cried. Um, But um, then on March 14th, which is like a week later, um, a doctor that I had not been seeing came into the room and she was like, you know what's wrong with you? It was was a very weird way to like find out you have cancer. Right. I knew that it was probably something serious, but I did not know it was as serious as cancer. And so Absolutely. she kind of like let it out. And I don't think she was supposed to be giving me my official diagnosis, but that's how I found out. Like the doctor okay. was just, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I have no idea what's wrong with me. That's why. That's why I'm <laughs> so um, when you when but, you heard the diagnosis, how did you feel? You know, what was what was that feeling? What was the, the first thought that you had when she said, hey, you know, you have cancer? Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna be honest with you, bro. I, I, so I'm a person of faith, right? Like, I I have always been someone who is has been connected to a higher power. Absolutely. And I the the whole time throughout the whole I was like very calm the whole time. Um, I had a tremendous support system, which is very important. So my best friend was at the hospital with me, um, and all these people, you know, were coming in and out, but. Um, I wasn't really kind of before I knew what the prognosis was. Right. Because, you know, one thing that we said about cancer before was that, you know, it's a big word, it's a scary word. But one of the things that I've learned throughout, you know, over the last three years is that there are so many different types of cancer. So many. And to and to say, like, you know, um, that that my diagnosis, which is Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, when I actually sat down and got my official diagnosis, you know, I asked the hard questions like, what does this mean? Like, am I going to check out of here soon? Right, right. And, you know, the answer that I got was, you know, because of medical research, you know, this is a very treatable cancer. And Absolutely. obviously, it's cancer, so the chemo and the other things that I might go through, like, would definitely have a negative impact on my body, that it was a very survivable cancer. And then, you know, once I heard that, uh, and, and the other the other quick story I'll tell you is that, you know, I was in the hospital the day that I got diagnosed. I told them I wanted to transition to another hospital to get treated. Yeah. So um, my best friend went home that night and bought a book about Hodgkin's lymphoma and came back to the hospital the next day. And but I could tell by the way that he reacted to it that I was going to be fine. So wow. And, and to have, you know, people in, you know, that would, that would do that for me. I mean, and we could talk about that a little bit later, but. Yeah. Cause we're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on the support factor of it. But, yeah. you know, the good thing, the thing that I heard from you is that one faith. And so yeah. having that strong faith in that relationship with God, it, you already were grounded and was able to accept the unexpected, you know, mm-hmm. because you believe in a higher power. But also one thing that I take away from you, and I, and I did it as well, too, is always asking those the tough questions, always. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, you know, in the black and brown community, we don't ask the questions. Mm-hmm. We just we allow the doctors to tell you what, tell us what they, they need to tell us. And then we say, OK, cool. What do I need to take? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's so important 
that um, we do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that you really just gave it up to God, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of, a lot of us, we don't, I'll share with you as well is that when I first found out it was um, 2012, it mm. was around CBC. And that's when B Smith's had was uh, up and running and yeah. um, yep, B Smith's. And, you know, I started to have, um, and this was not the second diagnosis, which we share that in common, but the first one with large B cell lymphoma, I, I, it was like, you know, in the cartoons where you, uh, if you hold the hose and it turns like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's how my head was like feeling. It was like yeah. literally like the blood, the mass was, uh, on top of the veins to allow the blood not to circulate. So here, no, there, um, I literally, once I got to the hospital, they're like, you can't go anywhere. Right. The same yeah. thing. You can't go anywhere. However, when they told me the diagnosis, the first thing I did was like, well, if God can get me through our university, yeah, right. <laughs> through, okay. uh, through uh, Cap Alpha Psi, <laughs> right. through the administration building, <laughs> yeah. and just, just, just growing up, you know, um, this is just another obstacle he'll allow me to navigate mm -hmm. through. And I said a prayer, you know, I said a prayer with a, a good friend, and I, I just I had the mentality shift shifted right then and there and so mm -hmm. I, I resonate when you talk about faith because having strong faith is very key you know because it's what you cannot see you yeah know? yeah and, and if i can if i can say this though absolutely bro, I, you know people ask me what my response was and like i think because of my faith my response was peace it wasn't fear mm -hmm. it was thing else it was peace because at the end of the day like you know there's a serenity prayer that says you control the things that you can control and everything else, you got to give it up to God. So, like, you know, even if my uh, prognosis was worse than it was, yeah. um, there was little I could do about it at that point, right? Absolutely. And so, um, I think that that is one of the benefits of having faith is that it, it's the, when you are faced with challenges, your faith dictates how you respond to that challenge. And I think that 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 really um, that really sort of like shaped and molded the way that that I sort of went through that whole process. Yeah. Man, that's powerful. And so you, you you spoke on that. So how was treatment? You know, going, you've already got diagnosed. How was how was treatment for you? Yeah. You know, let me let me just go back a little bit because I appreciate okay. you saying sort of like for, for people that are listening that might, you know, um in, encounter or like go through this experience one day. My um the, the outside of the other um more like not noticeable initially um symptoms that I had. There was a mass that formed on my chest. Mm. Um, it was like it was, and it literally came out of nowhere. I remember, just like you said, you were at B Smith's. I was at brunch with my special, and oh. I came home, and like I always like rub my chest anyway. But I rubbed my chest, and I was like, okay, <laughs> something. <laughs> like, um, but but you know, to treat man. So I made a decision because I was working at GW at the time, George Washington yeah. University. My office was right across the street from the treatment center, um, and wow. so. I, I made the decision to, to be treated there. Um, one of the interesting things about GW's campus is that obviously it's in a very uh, predominantly white neighborhood. It's predominantly yeah. white. But one of the things that was interesting to me was that when I walked into the infusion center, which is where the you know the room where you go to get chemotherapy, almost everybody in the room was black, and I just really could not understand how That's crazy. Even at a white institution, all the people that were being treated um, were people that looked like me. And so 
um, you know, I walked into this big room uh, and um, I don't think there's anything that can like really prepare you for chemo. Because no. if you think about what it is at its core, it's literally, um, I, I went through a treatment called ABVD yep. that um, where you sit there for four or five hours, my yep. co a cocktail of four different drugs. And literally what they're doing is they're just like pumping medicine into your, your body for four hours and killing and breaking down these cells. And, um, you know, part of the process is that they also give you steroids and they give you other medicines because it yep. can be very, very draining. Absolutely. And so what was interesting for me was that, so I had 12 treatments um, and um, I did not listen to the doctor, which is not good. Um, my, my mindset throughout the whole thing, because I had a, a, a close friend who reached out to me after I was diagnosed, because I, I made a decision and we can talk about this later. I made a decision to be public about my diagnosis. Absolutely. In part, in part because, um, you know, my diagnosis happened around my 10 year um, reunion from Howard. Yeah. And I, I, I was diagnosed two months before the reunion. And I knew based on like my physical appearance, appearance like I'd already lost weight and I knew I was probably gonna lose my hair. Yeah. That, um, I had to be honest with people about what was Absolutely. going on. And I also took it as a, um, an opportunity to educate folks who, you know, when I posted it, there were so many people that reached out to me and their response was, even though they didn't say it, like, I feel bad that you're gonna die. And I had my response to all those people was, I will die, not from this. Absolutely. <laughs> I have mean, die, but I won't die from this. But um, my treatment, I'm gonna be honest, it was not that bad. I mean, yeah. there were there were definitely days where I did not feel like getting out of the bed. Yeah. There were days where I just felt drained. Um, and I, I kind of went through a cycle. You get once you do this like a couple of times, there's a cycle that forms, right? I knew after I left chemo. I couldn't taste anything until like the next Wednesday. Like I started to like write everything down. Right. So I, I got chemo on Friday. I went every two weeks. I got chemo on Friday. I knew that weekend and the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the next week, I couldn't taste anything. So Absolutely. my diet shifted as a result of that. Wow. Um, I couldn't drink. Um, and um, were you upset about that? Oh, go ahead. Were you, were you upset about that? The, you know, the, I mean, I said I couldn't drink. I didn't say I did not drink. I, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I had a glass of wine every now and then i wasn't like yeah that's that. fair that's fair that's but fair. but I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what happened to me like after my first chemo my, my first chemo because i was diagnosed in Mar in march my first chemo was in april wow um, our um uh, chapter why'd you wait so long uh well it was because i transitioned hospitals and they okay I had to get okay that's fair that's fair so um the probate um was on the day i had my first chemo so there's a picture of me, literally, I left the hospital and I went to the yard. And wow. was looking at me like, why are you out here? And I was like, look, I can go home and just sit there and not do anything. Exactly. And in hindsight, I know there are reasons why doctors tell us to do that because when we are out in the world, we expose ourselves to you know all types of things that could harm our bodies. And when your body is in such a vulnerable state when you're going through chemo, it's just not a good idea for you to put yourself, you know, in those situations. Yeah. But I'm in a position at the beginning of my treatment that I was I was not going to allow it to change, you know, the way that I moved That's through the so world. Powerful, man. I um I went out there, you know, with my uh band-aids and you know, hundred and like forty <laughs> pounds. And I mean, I looked sick. Like I was, I mean, I literally had left just left the hospital yeah. to go. But um, I did that because I wanted to show people that, you know, you can respond to this in a number of different ways. You can go home 
and, and I'll just wrap this part up by saying this. Um, the best advice I got when I was diagnosed came from a friend from Howard, um, a, actually a really close friend. And as you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma, when I was diagnosed, they told me it was a rare cancer. Right. Um, but then when I posted, there were there were probably six people the next day that like reached out to me and told me that they had faced the same type of cancer. See? So like, yeah. I don't know how rare this is. Um, right, right. But um, I asked her a question and I said, you know, what has been the most difficult part of this? And she told me her immediate response was, you need to get a therapist if you don't have one. Mm. Because, because you spend so much time sitting in your thoughts. Like, I like you, bro. Like, we're both very outgoing people. Absolutely. I'm people so much you know and i get my energy from other folks yeah but i was going through treatment even though you know i was out and about there were I, I wasn't working for the first like month or so yeah so spending way more time with myself than i normally do and when you sit in your thoughts even Ooh. if you faith, there will be times where your faith is tested and where you don't see you know uh and you are hurting and uh and for me um like i was going through therapy the entire time so sometimes i would leave chemo and i would go to therapy and um you know taking care of your mental and spiritual health while you're going through something like this is yeah. probably the most uh, invaluable uh you know lesson um that i got very early on that really helped yeah, me man. So my, my, and and i'll and again um you know um i i had to go through 12 treatments after the fourth treatment i was in remission um and but what the, the, the thing that the doctor told me was that, you know, even though the cancer was no longer present in my body, uh -huh. the treatment was for the diagnosis, not like, you know, the, the state of your body. So I had Absolutely. to, so I, you know, at that point I was like, okay, am I done? And they were yeah. like, no, I got two more months of this. So I, you know, I started in April and I didn't, I didn't finish until August. Wow. Um, but um, that summer honestly was one of the, the summers where I grew more spiritually um and um you know i think in a, in so many different ways because when you're tested like that again like you you, you have to choose how you're going to respond and i chose to be positive I so how did, how did you grow spiritually you know how did what what, what changed what was the marcus before then now the marcus you know what you know what yeah, you know, I, I would say that, you know I have been very, very fortunate and blessed in my life. Like I grew up and I have faced challenges before, but I had never faced a challenge like that before. Right. And I that, um, you know, you know, you know, for me, it really um, drew me closer to God. Like I knew that um, I had made it through every other situation that I had, um, you know, that I faced before that. But to know that, you know, after four treatments, after being diagnosed with cancer in March, that in May, that they, my doctor called me and told me like the cancer is gone. Wow. Bro, I, I was driving and I had to pull over and I just started yeah. to, I was just like that, that like, you know, and, and this is probably something that you, you know, may have experienced too. Um, but I, I was just like, I don't even understand like why I am worthy of like this type of blessing, right? Mm. Like that, that yeah. I had to go through this emotional, you know, this, it was like an emotional pendulum because it's like, you got cancer at 33 years old. And it's like, man, like, then you have to think about all these things that you haven't had to think about before. Um, like my friend told me like, you need to plan your funeral. You need to plan. And, and, and it was, you know, it was, it sounds morbid, but you know, any of us could be taken out of here in a car accident or, you Absolutely. know, so, so. You know, my initial response to that was, I don't know if I want to do that, but I did a lot of things during that period 
that really, that I think, you know, a lot of people should do whether you're faced with cancer or not. But I think my faith grew because I, because it was almost like my own personal miracle. Like I have cancer. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about cancer, I know people that have gone through years and years of treatment, that, you know, treatment didn't work. So they had to try other things. And for me to like go and sit down four times, you know, for four yeah. hours, and that was enough for the cancer to be gone. It just, to me, it was just like my own personal miracle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, I think the part that does suck is that once it, like for my first time, I was done after, I had six cycles and I had, um, uh, mine was really, uh, the chemo treatment that I had uh, was R-CHOP. And no. R -chop, ugh, yeah, R-CHOP is, yeah. that's when it's really real. Um, especially because large B-cell lymphoma um, is, uh, that's a rare one. Now, I, yeah. I, I, I concur with you, like, and I'm not knocking, you know, classic Hodgkin's lymphoma stage four, you know, I, I, I have a lot of uh, good, good friends that have come on the show and, you know, shared this, their, their experience as well. Um, and, um, but that R-CHOP was serious, but it, it, I was after the, it's, un, un, it's interesting, yeah, after the, the fourth treatment, I was good to go. I was good yeah. to go. However, just like you were saying, you have to finish the rest. And that right there was like the game changer because when there's nothing else in your body for the chemicals to melt down and things of that nature, mm. those those treatments, those were the worst. And so yeah. um, those are the worst. And actually and like, like, why? Yeah, like <laughs> why? So after I they called me and told me I was I went into remission. That's when, you know, I went back to work. I knew I still had to like finish, but bro, uh, one of the, the, the kind of like eye-opening moments for me was, yeah. you know, I made it through the first four treatments and I, my hair did not fall out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the thing that I learned most about me during that period outside of the spiritual lessons that I learned was how connected I am to my hair. And, you know, I haven't really cared about my hair that much, I didn't think, but yeah. I remember being back at work probably the first week and um I like sometimes also like I just play with my beard yeah. and I was in a meeting at work and I like play I like pulled my beard and like a chunk of hair came Ooh. out and oh. I just I, I like looked at my boss and I just got up and I left I was like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> let me just shave it off let me yeah. let me just so, yeah. so, so again there, there's a picture of me at my 10-year reunion and I was completely bald because the, the hair on my head was actually hanging on. It was my beard that was falling out, but it got to the point where I was just like, I had to let it go. You had to let it go. You talk you talk a lot about your support system, you know, um, and um, how, how did they show up, man? You know, I know you're 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 a very well known person that I that I know, you know, um, and very very character is is and, and integrity is is major, and so. I always appreciate that about you. And at any time we, you know, interacted. Um, but once you, um, you know, shared and was transparent about your diagnosis, how 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 strong was the support system? Yeah, bro. I think that was another thing that just like really blew me away because um, I know that I have like strong friendships with people, like very deep friendships with people. But um, I, there were six people in particular that like, okay. they all knew each other through me, um, yeah. but they created a group chat and they would, they scheduled out who was going to be with me at chemo, wow. who was take me food, who was going to like, you know, basically like care for me. Like, I mean, they took like weeks, took turns and 
you know, uh, being with someone who is going through, um, you know, something as serious as chemo, like I know I was more irritable than I normally was. Like I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they stood by me, they made sure I had everything I needed. Um, you know, it really blew me away to, you know, cause you know that you expect your friends to be there for you if you need yeah. them. But fortunately for a lot of us, like we don't really need our friends to be there for us in the way that my friends were there for me. And so absolutely, having, having that support system really helped me get through that entire yeah. situation. No, that's awesome, man. You know, and um, it's very important you have a support system. But the, the thing that I learned was that you'll be surprised when you are in this path, who shows up and who does not. And who doesn't, up. yeah. And one of the things that I had to like get over was like the people that, that did not reach out to me during the entire period. And like, in the beginning, I'm gonna be honest with you, I was deeply hurt because there, Absolutely. Were, people, there were people that were showing up for me that I was like, why are you here? You know, And then there were people that did not show up that I questioned like, are you even my friend? Absolutely. And I one person in particular that like, I, you know, I saw him probably like a year later. Yeah. And I was like, bro, it, you know, it really, really, I was honest with him. I said, you know, it really hurt me that like, you didn't even like text me or call me or didn't come see me. His father had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma literally two weeks before I was. Wow. And so it was, it was very difficult for him to accept and process his father's diagnosis. But then this is somebody that I was very close to. When I was diagnosed and announced my diagnosis, it was just too much for him, right? And Absolutely. He actually like went into a depression because he didn't know if he was going to lose like somebody that was close to him, and you know his father potentially. And so um, that's you know that's one of the things that we have to do. We have to give people grace around us because you really, never know what people around us are dealing with, yeah. And how they might be triggered by you know things that that we're going through. And so you know if since then like when negative things happen to me and people you know, did show up or did not show up, you know, it impacts me less now than it did then because because of the experience that I've gone through. I understand that I, I shouldn't take those things personally because yeah. without information, I'm just making an assumption and it's not it's not healthy and helpful. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, um, and the good thing is that after you found out, you did give him grace, you know, because at the end of the day, like you, you never know what someone else is going through too, you know, and so... That's that's amazing. So I'm glad you had to support some. So let's talk about the fun thing. The fun thing that you did with Light the Night, man. When I when I seen the amount of you know impact you made to this organization, um, it was amazing. So how'd you get involved with the LLS and yeah. Light the Night? So it was it was actually kind of uh, ironic because so when I, I after I graduated from Harvard, I started working there. And I, um, you know, founded a program that took first year students um, and really just helped them become leaders on campus and in the yeah. community. And one of the projects that I gave them was to identify uh, an organization that they would raise money for. And this was in 2013. So okay. I was diagnosed in 2018. So five years before I was diagnosed, the students at Howard that I was working with chose LLS because blood cancers impact uh um, black folks disproportionately than any other portion of the population. Wow. So there were a lot of folks who had family members that had leukemia, lymphoma, or multiple right. myeloma. And so um, in probably the span of a month, we raised $12,000. Wow. And um, the LLS reached out to me because they were like, we've been trying to get college students to raise money for us for the longest time. And we need to know like what you did to get these exactly. folks raised. 
exactly. we got an award that year. Oh wow! Um, you know, after that, because every year I allowed them to pick the charity or the organization we raised money for, so that was like a one-time thing. But when I was diagnosed five years later, the first thing I thought about was this organization that we had raised money for five years before. Yeah. And the, and the cool part for me was that, you know, I mentioned earlier how I was diagnosed on, you know, May 14th and I was in remission two months later in May. And, you know, when I asked the doctor, like, how is this possible? It was literally because of the research um, that LLS and the American Cancer Society and a lot of other folks had done. And so I vowed, you know, when I was diagnosed that I was going to help do everything I can to raise money. Um, and, and, and one of the, the, the things that I love most about LLS is that um, they have patient assistance programs because, you know, as you know, when you're dealing with cancer, most folks think, oh yeah, you have like medical bills and co-pays and stuff, you know, but if you don't have someone to drive you to treatment, then that's Ubers. That's Ubers back and forth. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there are just so many unexpected costs, not only while you're going through treatment, but even after treatment. And I mean, I can talk about that too, because, you know, even though I was very public about my, um, you know, my treatment and my diagnosis, yeah. and other things, there are sometimes uh, health results that crop up, not as a result of the cancer, but it was as a result of the chemo, right? Because mm. the chemo can really do a, a number on your organs. And so like, you know, since then I have, you know, I have to closely monitor my heart, my lungs, my, really? kid, like, you know, everything because, um, the, when I when I did the the chemo, there was the um, one of the drugs um, would like it really really impact your lungs. Yeah. And as a result of that medicine, they took me off of it after I was no longer, um, you know, that after I was in remission. But yeah. I developed uh, um, a um, a condition called sarcoidosis, which is like a um, a lung disease. When, really? when they explained it to me, they said this is what killed Bernie Mac. And I was like, well, maybe that's not the first thing you should tell somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but a, a bad but, joke, huh? <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, it is right. But it's manageable. Like I don't have to take uh -huh. medicine for it. I just have to like monitor it. But, but um, the patient assistance programs that LLS have, which is putting money in the pockets of people who are going through treatment and even wow. after, was really the thing that drew me to like help them. And so, um, since then, uh, I have created family and friends. Uh, family and friends teams every year have raised like 40,000 over $40,000 and absolutely one of the that that really sort of struck me when I uh, got in more involved with the organization is how white everything was right like I started following them on social media I started going to events and I was like now in 2013 when the students at Howard decided to pick this organization one of the things one of the reasons why like I mentioned before is that this impacts black people a lot absolutely you had this large national organization and I like really called them to, to the floor and I was like, everything that you all do has a white face on it. And I wasn't asking to be like the black face, um, but I said, you all really need to, to be more representative because this impacts Absolutely. a lot of people. Like Absolutely. I said, I walked into the center, all I saw was black people. And so is, there was something that was not connecting. Absolutely. And what they did, they responded and they said, okay, do you want to speak on a national mall? Do you want to speak at this event? Do you want to speak at that event? So, you know, like you mentioned at the top of the, uh, you know, the, our conversation, bro, I have done dozens of uh, uh, media interviews. I've done speeches. Um, yeah. And I say I have raised, you know, $40,000 directly. That's like me and my network. 
but I have been at events where, you know, we were at a million dollars collectively. Wow. Got up on stage and I spoke and we were at $3 million after I got done speaking. And I don't wow. take all the credit for that, but like, you know, I, because of the impact that it had on me and because, yeah. and I'll just sort of tell you one, uh, you know, quick story. When I went into remission, you know, yeah. I, you know, still 33, um, my uh, uncle called me and told me that one of my favorite cousins who um, was, I think she was 27 at the time, um, was diagnosed with, um, with throat cancer. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people saw what I went through, right? They were like, okay, he got diagnosed with cancer and like his cancer is gone. So they projected, you know, what happened to me onto her. Now, at the end of the day, her diagnosis, her cancer, everything was very different from mine. Right, right. Um, you know, I knew and she knew we had a we had very sort of honest conversations with her. She knew she was gonna die. Like she knew that she probably had, you know, if she was lucky, two years, probably, you know, a year. She died about a year and a half after she was diagnosed. And, you know, that was very difficult for me because, you know, people were calling me and like, you know, they were like, you know, she's gonna be okay because you're okay. Right. And I, it was, you know, sometimes we're put in a position, I wasn't going to be the bearer of bad news and say like, you know, our cancers are different, you yeah. know, the way our bodies respond to the, the treatment is different, like these, all these things are different. So you can't look at me and what happened to me and project that onto her. Absolutely. And I remember one of the hardest things that happened to me after um, I, um, you know, was done with my treatment was I went home and um, there was another person in my home church in Alabama that he was dying of cancer. I mean, he was like in hospice. Wow. And my pastor asked me to get up and to basically like motivate the church and to basically speak life into him. Right. And I told him I couldn't do that. I told wow. him it would be intellectually dishonest for me, knowing how much I knew about the type of cancer that he had yeah. to get and say, now I told him I would get up and tell people that they should pray, that they should believe in God, they should believe Absolutely. in God. But like, there's also science, right? And a lot of folks want to separate or put science against God. But I believe that one of the reasons why the medicine for me, you know, can work in two months is because, um, you know, that, you know, there have been advancements that have made that have, that have been made that allow um, folks to treat the cancer that I have. But th that hasn't been done for every type of cancer, which Absolutely. is part of the reason why we do the work that we do. I know you are, um, you know, you, you since you're, um, you know, your diagnosis, like you've been involved as well, like not only doing this, but also raising money and yeah. um, supporting folks in other ways. And I think we're motivated by that, but it, it's very difficult for me to like look people in the face that have a different diagnosis than I had and say like, you know, I'm, I am okay, so you're gonna be okay. Yeah, no, it's it's not. That's not that's not an easy, uh, you know, uh, pill to not only swallow but also to to project that because the research is the key. You know, right. your diagnosis is like another course you have to study and stay in tune with because, like for example, and I share this is that if I didn't stay on top of you know large B cell lymphoma. Mm -hmm. I would have been subjected to radiation from a radiologist yeah. and I would have had heart damage if mm -hmm. I didn't stay on top of that. And he pressed me. He was like, no, your doctor said you got to do radiation. So I'm sitting here like, you trying to collect a check? Because clearly, yeah. and I literally left my doctor's office. He, he said, you can't do radiation. And then I go there. And so um, 
like you just said, all we can do is pray. You know, all we can do is, you know, help that, that person with that diagnosis. And the best way we can is just to support them. But we can't, we can't just say like, oh, I survived, so you're going to survive. Yeah. You know, because that's not fair. That's not yeah. fair. You know, that's not fair. <laughs> and, and, and look, I could have, you know, the, the way that I dealt with that publicly with my cousin, yeah. you know, I did keep, you know, I, I, I was not dishonest with people, but I was positive when I talked about like her journey, right? Yeah. When I talked to her one-on-one, our conversations were different because, you know, there's there was probably a moment that you remember. And I remember my moment where I was like, you know, you know, before I knew um, that, you know, that my cancer was treatable, you know, when you hear the diagnosis, no matter how faithful and positive you are, you start to question things like, am I ready to die? Like if I absolutely know. And so she came to me straight up and was like, you know, that, you know, I've had conversations with doctors and I know that I'm going to die from this, right? Like I know this is what's going to, you know, that I, like I mentioned before when someone, you know, people thought I was going to die from cancer. I was like, no, like, and it wasn't because of my faith. It was because like, you know, doctors come in and they know, you know, what the, um, like what the average sort of lifespan for someone who are, diagnosed with certain type of cancers are and so she knew and because she had that you know she was a person of faith too and she had a piece too about her like there were people around her that really rallied around her but the thing that I appreciated about her like when you come to terms with it no matter what it is um and you're a person of faith it does like lend itself to like the piece that I felt and that she ultimately felt too yeah um so how do you look at mortality now now that you you know I mean survived you've done a lot of uh good works and um how do you how do you view it now because i always say this um you know i've looked at death in the face twice and and survived and you know um that gives me motivation for any other you know obstacle Mm -hmm. that comes in my life but how do you how do you view mortality now yeah i'm i'll tell you i'm gonna be honest with you bro like i when i was um eight years old someone very close to me passed away and like i saw him the day before he died Mm. Uh, he had um sickle cell and he is he was sick like yeah like like when i met him he was sick so like right uh, right so going through such a traumatic um situation like that when you're eight years old kind of like shakes you anyway but i will say this though like you know for me because you know up to the point where i was diagnosed with cancer I, you know, you do feel a little bit invincible. You like, there's a, like when you're young and healthy, you're like, look, I can <laughs> take on the world. Like nothing's going to take me out. And yeah. I think for me, what cancer did for me was shake my illusion of invincibility, right? Mm. Like at, after that point, like I knew, like, even though I knew at, after a certain while that I was going to be okay from cancer because of how quick it happened to me. Yeah. I always now um, I am very aware that like I could be I could check out of this <laughs> I could check out you know tonight at any point I, at any point yeah at any point and I think that for me that's what you know that's what the, the diagnosis in that period of my life um, it made it more real for me like I said I'd experienced it before and it was yeah. always in the back of my mind but until it happens to you like you know for me you that's what real yeah yeah. And so, um, no, man, uh, we, we do come to a point where uh, I ask all my guests and um, three positive deposits, you know, we're here to transform minds and change lives. So mm-hmm. what are, you know, three positive deposits that you can, 
can share uh, with anyone that's listening right now um, on how to you know approach cancer, deal with cancer, and prosper after cancer? Yeah. So, I, so the, the first one is very clear to me, and I tell people this wherever I go now. Like you have to listen to your body. As people who are young, and like I mentioned before, like, you know, relatively invincible, you know, there are a lot of us that we are sick, you know, and because we've always gotten better, we just assume that we will get better. And one of the things that I used to do before was that I used to have like a little personal um, sort of uh, system where like, I had to be sick for a week before I would go to the doctor. Mm. Now, as soon as I... uh, (laughs) Like something wrong with me, I'm uh, video time. I'm a FaceTime and a doctor. Or I'm making an appointment. I'm trying to right, get right. Because you also know this. Like the earlier you catch cancer, um, sometimes really really impacts like your prognosis in the long yeah. run. Um, one of my friends, his father died of throat cancer literally a week after he after they diagnosed him because wow. he it, he went two years just thinking his throat was irritated when the cancer was eating his body up, right? Wow. So the first deposit I'll make is, please, 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 you don't have to have a medical de- degree to understand like when something is off with your body. Exactly. So I would just encourage everyone, if you don't have a primary care physician, get one. Um, if you, you know, if you, if something is going on that is not normal with your body, no matter how severe you think it is, because again, that my, my friend's father, he, his, his symptom was like that he had like an irritated throat. Right. And, and what happened is he, he went in to do um, a, 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 like a normal procedure. And they, when they opened him up, they found cancer everywhere. Um, wow. He was gone a week later. And so, you know, my first deposit is to listen to your body. The, the, the second deposit I would say is, um, and <laughs> if, if you are lucky enough to have a job, I mean, we're still no matter whether people think it or not, we're still in a pandemic. So there are a lot of folks that are still out of work. Yeah. If you are lucky enough to have a job that allows you to choose between like a HMO and a PPO, you know, when you're young and you're healthy, you think, oh, I don't, ha- I should not pay more for insurance because I won't need it. One of the things that really, really saved me, like, bro, you know, financially cancer can really, really, really take a toll Ooh. on you. But um, my I have always chosen the high option whenever yep. I got an insurance. And um, because of that, uh, I still had to come out of pocket a lot of money. Yeah. But um, I, I sat down um, with my employer, employer and I looked at like how much I would have had to pay if I chose the low option. I mean, and the difference was like them taking $80 out of my check every paycheck or $100 yeah. out of my. But the difference was, you know, the lower option, they pay 80% and you have to pay 20%. When I looked at all the costs that I was billed for, like for my treatment, it was north of $400,000. So if I was billed $400,000, if I would have chosen that lower option, I would have still ended up having to pay $80,000, right? And I don't care how well you've done in your life. It's, I, if somebody had to come to you right now and say, give me $80,000, like, you know, and. And it's really sad because there are a lot of folks that die because they just cannot afford the treatment. And I would, exactly. you know, our system is vicious and, you know, they're going to get their money. And so, so I would definitely say, you know, if you have the option and, and you are, you are in the position to like um, choose an HMO or a high option, wherever you work, choose it because, you know, you might not need it, but it's better to 
have it um, and not need it than to need it and not have it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and the third thing I would just say is, you know, no matter if you uh, go through something as traumatic as cancer or not, whenever you go through anything where there's a lot of misinformation out there about it, yeah. what I would encourage you to do, you know, is to, to, to do your best to educate me. This is what you, which is why I love what you're doing, which is um, when you come on here and you talk candidly about your experience with cancer, yeah. twice, then um, when if someone else faces that moment, they might face it with a bit more information and knowledge yep. and really hope, even as a result of them listening to you for like 30 or 45 minutes. And so I would just encourage folks that one of the, one of the most positive things you can do for them is to provide them with information. Absolutely. Right. So I think that, you know, to the extent that you are willing to, that, that you should educate people um, to break down um, those misconceptions. And, um, and, and, and in doing so, you can really like help people five, 10, 15 years down the line who might face this, um, get through it a little easier just as a result of you being so transparent and sharing what you've done. So brother, I, I can't thank you enough for inviting me on to share yeah. the story. You know, you, you, you are, overly generous when you say like you know people know me everybody knows who you are and, <laughs> um, and 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 i think that um you know my my view of you has been um like for me you know even though cancer is not something that was easy for you that i think it's made you a better person and Absolutely. i think it's probably made me a better person too um and 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 that something's positive so positive could come out of something so like dark and negative to me just shows the power of God and, and yeah, um, absolutely. I appreciate um, you for doing what you do. No, nah, man. And I mean, you know, thank you for, for those flowers, man. Um, you know, I think that cancer was a blessing um, both times. And, you know, as, as this show grows, you know, with folks like you and others that are uh, willing to share and give that education, you know, and give different perspectives, it's only going to make this world a better place. You know, and um, and so I'm grateful to have you as a guest. So if folks want to reach out to you, Marcus. How how do we how do we find you? How do they find you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm all the social media. It's my name, like on I think on Instagram, it's, it's Marcus Aware. Okay. Same on Twitter. Like it's just it's just my name. So if you want to follow me on social media, um, and my email address is the same as MarcusAware@gmail.com. So if you want to reach out, um, please feel free to. Um, I could do whatever I can to help folks and. Um, yeah. Well, you, you heard it. You know, Marcus A. Ware, you know, blow up his DMs, holler at him. You know, uh, <laughs> if you want to definitely get involved with LLS, this man is an advocate for them. And I am as well. But definitely this man has done great things, worked with the organization prior to and, and continues to work. And um, it's just so happy to have you on here. So for if you guys want to tune in, we are on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio. And of course, please visit our website, www.positivedeposits.org. And as you know, please hit the donation button. Um, without you, this wouldn't be possible. So we've definitely transformed minds and changed lives. And until then, we are signing off. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, brother.